You are listening to the Morning Bliss with Patricia Mandula. I say, I say, Africa must wake up. The sleeping sons of Jacob for what tomorrow may bring. May Our dynasty on the Morning Bliss. Can you tell me, young ones, who are we today? On our dynasty this morning, uh, we are going to be uh, hearing from Professor uh, Lumumba. Professor Lumumba is actually, I think, today um, in the country for the Pan-African Parliament that holds in Johannesburg, Midrand. But um, what he's going to be speaking to us about here on the show is um, from um, a speech he did speaking about uh, the new scramble for Africa. Yeah. You can see it already. Everyone wants to come and trade. The West, the East want to be in the South to trade with us. And why? Why is there this new scramble for Africa? Let's hear from Prof straight after this break. Thank you very much. Uh, Let me uh, thank those who have spoken before me and remind us that interference in Africa started with slavery. When slavery had lost its value, it graduated into colonization. And that is the context in which Berlin must be seen when the European powers sat in Berlin and divided the continent of Africa into spheres of influence. When colonization had lost its luster through a combination of certain realities and agitation from the continent, we regained our independence. But as John Henry Clark, that great African-American said, we regained independence by mimicking European governance systems And he rightly says, no African country will ever succeed on the basis of those systems. After that, the neo-colonial project was instituted. And all of us will remember Kwame Nkrumah's book, Neo-Colonialism, The Last Stage of Imperialism. And he dare says, the most dangerous. We are now in a neo-colonial stage when the European powers are at their most diabolical, when the Americans are at their most diabolical. And it's not lost on me that they'll be meeting in Hiroshima next week at the G7. And how do they interfere? They interfere militarily, They ensure that you in the military are trained in Sandhurst, are trained in West Point, so they affect your mind. They interfere diplomatically, sometimes through gunboat diplomacy, and that is why you see sometimes your typical European ambassador treats our heads of states in a condescending manner, They interfere through institutions such as the IMF and the World Bank. They interfere by ensuring that our economic infrastructure is beholden to theirs through dollarization. 
They interfere through education. They interfere by influencing our processes, by lending us advisors who tell us what to do. The neo-colonial project is alive and well, and it is at its most dangerous, and we Africans must smell the coffee. If we don't, they are going to continue to interfere. How else do they interfere? Through NGOs, Danida, CEDA, UKAID, USAID. These are Trojan horses that are introduced into our countries for the purpose of influencing our processes. And they infiltrate our institutions. Right now, if you look at the African Development Bank, look at the shareholding. It's Americans, it's Germans, it's Japanese, it's the French. And the Europeans have done their bit. They also interfere through post-colonial institutions, the commonwealth of independent nations. They are not sovereign states, former French-speaking nations. These are the instruments that they interfere through. And how do we then deal with this situation? We Africans must now begin to recognize, and this was recognized as early as 1963, and the chair of the commission is here. They'll be celebrating 60 years in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And 60 years ago, on the 24th day of May, Kwame Nkrumah warned us he said, if we are not united, they are going to interfere with us militarily. They are going to interfere with our economy. They are going to interfere with our agriculture. They are going to interfere with our health. Our duty, and I hope that when African heads of states and government meet in Addis next week, it will not be another jamboree at which pro forma speeches are read. I hope it will be an occasion to give meaning to Africa Agenda 2063. I hope it will be an occasion to give meaning to Africa continent of free trade area. I hope it will be an occasion to revitalize the Malabo Declaration, the Maputo Declaration, the Yamasukru Declaration. In other words, we Africans, as I conclude, we Africans must stop operating in silos. Rwanda alone will not confront them. Burundi alone will not confront them. But if we go through the regional bodies and ultimately the African Union, we may indeed succeed in putting away this bulwark. And remember, it is no longer just Europe. There is a new scramble for Africa. The Chinese are here. The Turks are here. The Qataris are here. All of them are coming back. And the military bases that you see here is telling you that if you don't behave, we are going to use force. Sometimes I wish, and I'm saying this seriously, that we too had a nuclear weapon. Because that is what Europe and America understands. The impact of European and American and Russian and Chinese interference is a raw wound. It is not something that is in the past. It is something that is happening as we speak. And therefore, when we speak to it, we are speaking to it to warn ourselves of the reality. When we speak about the Danidas and the NGOs, these are bodies whose raison d'etre 
is to ensure that we remain in a perpetual state of begging. That is what we are doing to warn ourselves. And we are not for one minute saying that we will shut ourselves out from the rest of the world. What we are saying is that we must define how we engage with the whole world. And we are saying that as individual countries, we are weak and the rest of the world wants to operate and to deal with us in our weak state. The United States of America dealing with Rwanda on second-hand clothing. Rwanda cannot resist them. Burundi cannot. Kenya cannot. Uganda cannot. But if we are East Africa with a population of 300 million, we can. If we are Sadak, we can. If we are Ikoas, we can. So this is what we are saying. And we are saying further that going forward, we must also recognize our internal weaknesses. And what is our weaknesses? Chinua Achebe said it very well. The problem of Africa is simply and squarely one of political leadership. The rank of many political leaders in Africa are thieves. Let's call them by their name. They are thieves. They are individuals who are not interested in the interest of this country. And as long as we continue electing such individuals into positions of power across Africa, they are going to be manipulated. What then is the responsibility of the citizenry? The responsibility of the citizenry is to make demands. The chairman here, I hope he has received the several letters that I've written to him. I've written several letters to his organization talking about the role of the African Union in peacemaking. I wrote to, this, to the chairman only one, last week about the situation in Sudan, saying we must solve our own problems. And I want to see a crusading African Union so that it's not the Americans and the Saudi Arabians who are summoning them to Jeddah. It should be in Addis Ababa. In a nutshell, Joe, what I'm saying is that we have a responsibility to ourselves, both at the leadership level and at levels of the civic society. We must be engaged in a positive manner, and we must keep on shouting without being diplomatic, because diplomacy is lulling us into a false sense of security. And lastly, I want to say this. When foreign powers come, we must always be reminded of these goodies that they bring to us. It used to be said of the Trojan War that even when the Greeks bear a gift, they do not mean well. They never mean well. And the sooner we say it, recognizing the external threat, recognizing the domestic weaknesses, the safer we are. Right now, as I conclude, there is a group of experts going around East Africa collecting views about the constitution of East Africa. I've just written to them this morning. They are leaving Kenya. If you ask 10 Kenyans, possibly only one knows they are in Kenya. Then they will be going to Burundi. If you ask your typical African about Africa Agenda 2063 out of 10, if two know about Africa Agenda 2063, you'll be lucky. If you ask them about the Africa Continental Free Trade Area 10, if two know, you'll be lucky. In other words, 
we are not doing well. And I'm going to be blunt at these functions. If you ask the chair of the African Union, who funds the African Union, possibly 60% of the budget is externally funded. He who pays the piper calls the tune. That is the reality of the world. We must begin to pay for our own things in order to be understood and to be respected. In other words, Africa recognizes the need to define herself and to define her agenda. And I do not begrudge nations that define themselves and their agenda. Ronald Reagan once said it, and I agreed with him, that every nation does what is in her best interest. And I have no problem with that. The problem that we have is that at critical moments in African history, we have failed to seize the moment. You will remember in 1917 at the Champaran campaign, Mahatma Gandhi told Charlie Andrews, I do not want you to participate because at this point in time, the Indians must believe that they can do it themselves. In other words, there comes a time in the history of a nation when even friends of goodwill must be told, keep aside. We want to believe that we can do it and your help must be surreptitious and subterranean if you are a person of goodwill. And the Champaran philosophy is what we must define for ourselves. In the year 2005, the former Prime Minister of Britain, Tony Blair, put together 17 individuals in what was then called the, our common interest. The report on the African Commission. The Prime Minister, he was then the President of the European Union from which Britain has now left, and he was also the President of the G8 at that time before the exclusion of Russia. They produced the report. Right now, when I see the Blair Institute moving around Africa, they are implementing exactly what was in that particular report, and I have a copy of it, not for the benefit of Africa, but for the benefit of the Institute. And what they have done is to sugarcoat it and camouflage it for the purpose of hoodwinking Africa and for the purposes of creating an environment which benefits foreign companies to the detriment of the continent of Africa. So that some of these engagements are anodynal. They simply lull us into a false sense of security. Do I blame them? No. That is why I agree that we must decolonize all learning. You, we, you know, I don't know who said it this, that, that if you have a, that the happiness of the slave is the comfort of the slave owner. And, and I'm saying that if Africa does not recognize this, then Africa will never recognize and realize our potential. The saying goes that if you behave like grass, goats will eat you. And many times we in the African continent behave like grass and we are fit for eating. And that is what I'm saying going forward in a strategic engagement such as this. It is incumbent upon the continent of Africa. And remember I said there is a new scramble, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. There was one month in this continent when the Russian foreign minister was here, the American foreign minister for here, was here, the Chinese foreign minister was here, 
the French president was here, the Turkish president was here, when, within a period of two weeks. What were they looking for? What is in their best interest? They engaged little countries. They don't want to engage the East African community. They don't want to engage SADC. They don't want to engage ECOWAS because when they are big, they are not manipulable. And when on the 14th and 15th days of last year, the African heads of states and government were summoned, and I use the word summoned very deliberately to Washington, D.C., after the president had spoken to them and given them photo ops, they were given, Africa was given 60 billion, 54 countries, 60 billion. And then the American president started engaging in bilateral agreements with Burundi, with Lesotho, with Kenya. That is what we are saying that going forward we must be conscious. And as to training our own Ngugiwa Thiongo in a book called The River Between tells his lead character Waiyaki, go unto him, learn what he has taught you, but bring it home and customize it for the benefit of our people. Learning is universal and defies geography, but there is wisdom in using that learning for our benefit. And very lastly, how do we distinguish the institutional conceptual West, which is diabolical, and the individual members of those countries that actually sometimes are on our side. Institutionalized conceptual West, as articulated through government, is fundamentally diabolical. Their pretension to the contrary notwithstanding. And therefore, when we engage with them, we must have our guards up. We are capable, in my view, of discerning who is better, and that is the duty of our leadership. Our leadership doesn't do a good job out of it, and that is why the demand from the civil society, the demand from academia, must remind leadership at all times, you are dealing, you are dining, and I'm using this as a term of art, that when you are dining with the devil, you must do so with a long spoon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Prof. Uh, I don't know that you wanted to respond to the issue of, of definition uh, yeah. earlier on, or indeed any comments that you might have. So, let so us not drown ourselves in semantics. This is my view with due respect. First of all, let us remember that, and I always warn us Africans, if I was using my mother tongue to define interference, or using a Kiswahili word, what meaning would it carry? And sometimes we find ourselves prisoners of Portuguese, prisoners of French, prisoners of English, or any other colonial language which we have appropriated and which we now deploy in terms of engagement. History has demonstrated, and my good friend Kegoro said it, history has demonstrated not once, not twice, that the intentions appear to be noble in the beginning, but when they have come in like the proverbial Trojan horse, they go beyond their mandate. Show me what is happening to Libya today. Show me what is happening to the Central African Republic. Show me what is happening to Somalia today. They were all well-intentioned and see the product. A tree shall be judged by its fruit. A mango that says it is an orange is still a mango. <laughs>
Now to the question that I've been asked, that is what can Africa do, particularly with foreign interference? Let us understand that the international economic architecture as I see it, is one in which Africa did not participate, does not participate in a meaningful way. Take for example the Bretton Woods institution that we know about, the World Bank and the IMF. Created in 1944 in Bretton Woods in New Hampshire, British economists and American economists immediately after the World War II to target the reparation of Europe through the Marshall Plan. We are grafted into it, and then we become beholden to them. So that when you hear IMF is in your country, you ought to be very worried, because the prescriptions is one size fits all. And if you doubt me, you will remember the prescriptions of the IMF during the structural adjustment in 1980s. Not a single country came out of it in a proper shape. We are you are listening to The Morning Bliss with Patricia Mandula. Well, uh, that was uh, Professor Pierre o Lumumba who was giving us, um, you know, the things we need to consider when it comes to who we are. Uh, because, yes, as he's saying, we can't ignore um, the fact that everyone, the global West, is interested in Africa, and there's a lot of uh, funds that are being poured into them. But if we don't reflect on the consequences, if I may use that, of uh, the funds coming in, uh, we, we, we might end up in big, big trouble as a continent at large. So today um, is, uh, well, yeah, it is, uh, I must say, in fact, it was yesterday, a sad day, a sad day for for myself, uh, but a good day for others, like Rabin Zito was celebrating his birthday. Um, 24th of May, uh, 2003, was a, a day where Tina Turner, the queen of rock and roll, uh, laid, was um, um, transcend, transcended into uh, glory. She was 84 years old, born on the 26th of November, 1934. May her soul rest in peace. 